Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. We already read it earlier. Uh, Mark and Kay read it for us, but we're going to focus in on that passage and um, we're just going to read it again to, to keep it fresh in our minds as we prepare to go. And this, we're in this series called uh, Asking for a Friend where we're addressing the sort of things that you hear when you have conversations with people about Christ. And today we're looking at, I don't like organized religion. Do I really need to bother with a local church? I don't like organized religion. Do I really need to bother with a local church? And we're going to read this passage and just try to see how this passage helps us think about that sort of statement and question. Uh, And it's, it's in part for you. It's for you to uh, be able to get some clarity about what, why what we do as a body of Christ in local congregations matters so you can have more confidence to engage and lean in. But it's also for that person you might talk to. The questions we're dealing with over the next six weeks are the kind of uh, questions and conversations you have with people about church life, about Christ, about what it means to walk with God. And so we want to make sure we're addressing those things in practical ways. We're going to continue to answer those sort of questions. We're doing this one today from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. This is what it says in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see and hear the rich experience and invitation you have given to us in the body of Christ. That we wouldn't just belong to the body of Christ as an idea, but we would learn to belong to a people that we can love and serve, who we bear with, who require us to exercise humility, who can encourage us when we need it, who keep us from becoming wayward, who help us mature, a group of people that we can be on mission with and encouraged 
to bring the hope of the gospel to the community and to the world as we labor together. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and hearts or that you would correct us in ways that we've been overly individualistic. And Lord, you'd give us clarity of what it means to be a part of a community that's really focused on Christ. So Lord, we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I love to play football. I just prefer to play it by myself. I love to play football. I just prefer to play it by myself. If you know anything about football, American football that is, this statement sounds absurd, doesn't it? I mean, football is quite possibly the most inherently team sport that exists. If someone said such a thing, you might try to think about what it would be like to play football by yourself. You know, what, what position would you play? Now, I mean, you might start off picking the position of wide receiver. You know, kind of the, all the flash and attention goes to the great wide receivers. But quickly you realize that you can't play wide receiver without someone else who knows how to throw the ball. And so you decide that if you don't have a quarterback to throw you the ball, then you should perhaps maybe you should play quarterback alone by yourself. But you'd run into the problem that before a quarterback can do what a quarterback does, you need a center or some sort of lineman that will hike you the ball. I even looked it up in case somebody said, no, you're allowed to hike it to yourself. You know, that only happens in your backyard. Like NFL rules require that someone else snap the ball to the person that's behind the line. Well, then you think, well, since the center starts with the ball, I guess in order to play your football alone, you would have to be the center, which would leave you in an endless loop of hiking the ball to nobody and causing a fumble. And if that's what you mean by saying you love to play football but prefer to play it alone, then it's a strange sort of football that you're playing. Don't be surprised when an honest onlooker watches this lonely game of football and says, you're not even playing football at all. I have a genuine relationship with God. I just don't get involved in organized religion. Which means, usually, I have a genuine relationship with God, but I can't be bothered to care about uniting myself to some local group of people who are living out this calling that we have to be a church. You know, and it's, it's a statement of equal absurdity when you read a passage like Ephesians chapter 4. Or just about any section of the New Testament, really, if you think about it. If you're the sort of person trying to live that life, a sort of singular, individualistic, spiritual journey, don't be surprised when an honest onlooker says, you don't appear to be living the Christian life at all. Only someone who pays little attention to what the Scripture instructs us to do together as Christians or as believers would conclude that they can attempt to live the Christian life apart from significant connection and joining in the life of a local group of people that make up a church. So the question is, why should I be committed to a local church? Well, one, the, first, the first answer, the basic answer is, it's sort of an absurd idea that we could live out a Christian life without that. And the main idea I want you to see from the passage before we look at four ways it really helps us, 
is this, that according to Scripture, all gospel-believing Christians everywhere constitute what we might call the universal church. If there's a big theological idea is that, that all Christians everywhere who have put their faith in Christ and have devoted themselves to walking with Him, all of those Christians are part of what we would call the universal church, big C, that then finds its practical identity in actual local churches. So in one sense, we all belong to the body of Christ if we genuinely believe the gospel of Christ. The Holy Spirit has made us one family no matter where we are living, no matter what body we join with on any given Sunday. We're a part of this universal church, but the universal church finds its practical experience in a local church like this one, like Pillar. And that's kind of the main idea that we see. We see it clearly in the text. Notice in verse 4, that in verse 4, there's this emphasis on one. He, he's talking about their need to maintain unity, and he says, there is one body, meaning no matter where you're at worshiping this morning, if you're in Christ, there's only one real body. There's one spirit. That means the Holy Spirit is the one that has brought us into this relationship with Christ. Just you, as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling, that means if you're genuinely in this body, you share in this one hope that though we are sinners, Christ died for us and has made us alive in him. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been washed. We have this one hope that one day we will be risen with Christ. And that's the hope that we gather around. So any real church is gathering around that one hope. They have one body and one spirit that has caused this and they share in this one hope. Verse 5, he says that we have one Lord. That's Jesus. One person we submit to and look to for ultimate authority that decides what's true, what's not, how we live, what's on the table, what's right, where we go. We share in one Lord. We have one faith, one baptism. We've followed Christ in this believing way where we've submitted ourselves to the testimony publicly of, being, of claiming that we've been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in a new way of life. And that new way of life is what we're devoted to. We have one baptism. And all of this is true because verse 6 says, we have one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We belong to this universal body that is unified by God's redeeming work, His saving work in us. Ultimately, that spiritual identity though, Paul is saying in this passage itself, ultimately that big spiritual identity is the basis for living out our practical individual calling that Paul is instructing them about in verse 1 and 2. Look in verse 1 and 2, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. Who's he writing to? Well, specifically, he's writing to a church in Ephesus. He's writing to a group of believers gathered in Ephesus, and he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, how, they are, how are they going to do that? He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, notice it's a team sport. 
So he says, if you're going to work out this calling, what you're going to do is you're going to recognize that this unity has to be worked out with a group of people that are going to require from you humility, genuinely bearing with one another in love and caring. And they're going to need an eagerness, verse 3 says, to maintain this sense of unity. So the universal church, where there's one Lord, one hope, finds its practical identity in a local church like the one at Ephesus and like the one here at Dumfries. It has leaders. It gathers regularly. It has doctrine. It has actual people. It has a mission. It faces challenges. And for all of those reasons, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of this calling that puts Christ on display. Because God has chosen in his wisdom, Ephesians chapter 3 says, that he has chosen to display his manifold wisdom in the midst of the world through the church. Now, you and I might look at that and say, I'm not sure God is as wise as I thought he was. If the church is his way of displaying the manifold wisdom. We see lots of problems in churches. We know all of them because we have all of them in our own lives. In our own households. In our own job situations. We know what it's like to be around people. To unify people around a task. To care about one another. To learn to love we understand all of these things, but God has chosen to give us this high calling, and he says this is a high calling to make us family in Christ, give us this unity, and then say, work it out. Work that calling out here in Dumfries so that people say, God, he abounds in wisdom because he has saved the people, and he's showing us how we can actually live in a manner worthy of that calling. He's unifying us. He's helping us experience and abound in love, and he's bringing about maturity through his church. That should be our experience in the local church. That should be our desire. And so, the local church is at the center of God's plans and purposes for your life as a believer. It's how he gets the work done in our lives and in our community and in the world. And so I want us to see four reasons in the text that we need to be committed to a local church then practically. Four ways in which this becomes really important and why I would say that you should prioritize being a part of a local gathering like this, not just for the event on Sunday morning, but because you want to belong to the family of God in a practical way throughout the rest of the week. But this is when our family gets together. You know, as a family, there's no other time during the week where our family of faith gets together, gathers together, looks at what's most important, talks about what we have going on. This is where and when we gather as a family, and therefore we should prioritize this in our life and see that God is using it to help us to, in, in just sort of manifold ways to become what God has called us to be. So four reasons in the text that we gather. Number one, one of the reasons you need to belong is because we gather to display the unity of Christ. We gather together as a body to display the unity of Christ in unity in the midst of diversity is important to God. It matters to Jesus. In fact, the book of Ephesians, you could argue, is, has as its major theme the ways in which Christ has brought unity in the midst of diverse people's in the world. All of chapter 2 is dedicated to the peace that Jesus has made between Jews and Gentiles who traditionally in the, in the ancient world were at odds with one another. And it talks about this great unity in chapter 2 and this is what he's calling us to here. We gather together as a visible display of the unity of Christ. 
I've already mentioned this, and I won't belabor the point, but the gospel of Christ creates a unity that has the power to heal every division that sin has brought about into our society. The gospel of Jesus has that power. We we may not be perfect at it in the church. We're certainly not perfect at it in this church. But it is our aim and our desire. And as a body, we aim to demonstrate the unity of Christ in the midst of diverse backgrounds, diverse peoples in our community, and all the challenges that really come with that. Because we're family. In Christ, we're family. We may not be perfect at it, but as Christians, you then also have an individual calling that you can't work out without other people who you do it with. You have a calling to gather around the gospel as a community of people from different places, from different upbringings, from different ethnicities and races, from different languages, and all sorts of worldly divisions and monikers that we're labeled with in our identity, we have the responsibility to gather around the gospel and proclaim together that we are family with a more defining bond because of what we have in Christ through salvation. That actually there's an overarching identity that belongs to us that is deeper and greater than anything else we could say about ourselves. And so today as we gather, what we're gathering to say is Christ is above all. He is above all my sense of who I am and what he says about who I am and the family that he made me a part of is more important than anything else in the world. Doing this is one of the ways that we learn to say that Christ is Lord and supreme above every power and preference in my life. Being a part of a local church where we display visible unity and love is a way in which we say Jesus is supreme. He's supreme above my preferences, above my cultural patterns, above the kind of music I like and the the people I would most easily associate with. Jesus is supreme and his love has been greater towards me. Therefore, I need to pour out a greater love among the body than I could imagine was possible without him. And when we do that, it says Jesus is great. Jesus is supreme. He's above everything else that could matter to me. When I gather with other believers, I will either let my preferences, my cultural identities deaden my love for my family in Christ, or I will learn to look to Christ as supreme and learn to joyfully love and serve my brothers and sisters for their good. You see, I will learn to work with other people. In the body of Christ, you learn to work with other people that I would not have otherwise worked with and do so in joyful cooperation for a mission in Christ that's greater than everything else in my life. So how do I know if I'm engaging in a local church in this way? You know, you look and go, well, I've sort of been, you know, on the edges of things in the churches I've been involved in. I show up for some worship, I do things. I, I kind of stay to myself because I like to do most of my stuff in private. It's a personal thing for me. How do you know if you're engaging in a way that fulfills this calling? Well, you will find yourself needing the sort of qualities that are mentioned in verse 2. So one of the primary, primary ways that you can know whether you are leaning into fulfilling this calling, even just here in our local church, is you'll find yourself needing the qualities that we read about in verse 2. Humility. Because pride will destroy, it will always exalt our own culture and preferences and put low the pro- culture and preferences of other people. Gentleness. The ability to understand where other people are coming from and speak into their life in a way that they could hear you and know that you care about them. Patience. You know, it takes patience to have real relationships, doesn't it? I mean, with anyone but ourselves. 
And even then it takes some patience. <laughs> but man, as soon as you expand the circle to two, three, or a couple hundred, I mean, if you're going to really genuinely love the people that are on your row, you're going to probably need some patience. That's right. Amen. Thank you. And I was about to say, Vic, uh, that they're going to need as much patience or more. Can I get an amen on that one? So that, <laughs> you're going to need to bear with others in love at times and just know that it's not going to change the way that you want it to change. And you're going to need, need an eagerness to guard unity, to make sure that Christ remains supreme above all your preferences. An eagerness to protect that. If you currently find you not need these qualities to live out your life with other Christians, you're likely too distant, have taken for granted of the responsibility to show Christ as supreme in the midst of a body of believers. You've stayed distant, you've not leaned in, engaged in a way that calls from you a need to serve and love your brothers and sisters around you, to do anything other than serve your own preferences. That's, you see, this is a high calling and we're not to forsake it. We gather, we gather to display the unity of Christ in a visible way, to live it out in the day-to-day -day activities, but to remind ourselves that this is about something beyond just who I am and who I'm becoming. It's what who Jesus is and what he wants for us. So that's the first one. We gather to display the unity of Christ. The second one is we gather to be equipped for the ministry of Christ. So we see in verses 1 through 7, we gather to display this unity. But when we move through the, the next portion of the passage, especially look in verse 11, it says that we gather to be equipped for the ministry of Christ. If I can squeeze a little more juice out of my football analogy, that's an analogy on top of an analogy. Christians have been given something far greater than a game to play. We have far greater than a game that we're playing. We've been given a mission to build up the body of Christ. We've seen a, a visible example of that in just being able to um, celebrate what Zach's done through the life of our church and through his ministry to the Ethiopian community. We've been given a mission to build up the body of Christ. And that means at least two things in this passage when we see build up here. We build it up by helping it grow outwardly. And we build it up by helping to strengthen it inwardly. Both of those are in view. In fact, in the first section when we see building up, we see that, he sa that it really has in view the fact that Jesus has the intention for the body of Christ to grow outward. For us to touch other people in places that we have not yet reached to effectively minister the gospel into people's lives who don't know Christ. Faithful Christians take this mission seriously. Faithful Christians consider this mission an important part of, of the central things going on in their life. And they're gathering together on a Sunday like this to be equipped and organized in an effective way. That, that we would get together and because of not only what we hear, but what happens connected to who we are as a people, that we would become more organized to be able to carry out this plan and purpose of seeing the gospel spread to other people. Faithful Christians take this seriously and they're organized in a way that effectively leverages the different strengths that exist in the body of Christ. So just like a set of coaches assemble and direct a football team, a set of gifted leaders work in a similar manner to aid and equip the body to act in a way that builds the church and its mission. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 highlights this reality. 
It says in verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, so there's this recognizable diversity of background, talent, gifting for the sake of the mission. And he says then in verse 11, that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now in the New Testament, primarily we see these as sort of gifts of missional leadership in the body of Christ. These are the sort of giftings that you would expect exist in those who would lead a local congregation in its teaching and mission. They're, they're going to be the ones who are pressing outward, strategizing, thinking, understanding the word well enough to teach it well so that other people, it says, are equipped. And so we see here this diverse uh, gifted people needs to be organized and equipped by missional leaders. You see, after, you know, there's this little aside in verse 8 through 10 talking about Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension as a victorious battle in which he's gone into the depths of enemy territory, been victorious, and is now sharing the, the riches and bounty of his victory. It's being poured, he's, by, he's doing that by bestowing gifts on all his people. And Paul returns to say that Christ has gifted the body then with missional leaders, like we read in verse 11, that harness those gifts, that equip people that have those gifts so that the ministry that Christ has called us to in the world is carried out effectively by those who belong to Christ, by those who belong to the church. So what's the point of all that? Here's what it means. It means that the everyday work of ministry, whenever you hear the term ministry, the everyday work of ministry is what you do this week, what you do with how you have been equipped for Christ to build up the body. That's the work of the ministry here. You notice he says that people who are gifted in missional leadership, their work is actually to equip the saints, to equip the believers to do the work of the ministry. That's because when you think about the ministry potential in a room like this, if you embrace the fact that God has put you in his body with a particular set of gifts to do the work of the ministry, we have a multiplied effect in the community this week going forward. The degree to which we embrace that individually in this body and equip one another for that is the degree to which we have a multiplied effect in the community this week. Now, if we don't recognize that, that means that you'll go out into your week and you'll do what you consider to be your job and you'll expect that then my job is to do the work of the ministry. We'll come back together and we'll wonder what ministry got done. And we get asked the question, what's the pastor been up to this week? And I'll be like, I was organizing a bunch of stuff for you. <laughs> and on the side, I was doing some other ministry that God has called me to do, because there's an aspect in which we need organization. This is why when you hear somebody saying, you know, when you hear them saying, I, I don't like organized religion, I just think, have you ever gotten more than a couple people together? And then the second thing I always think is, hang around here long, you won't think this is organized religion. <laughs> but as soon as you get people together, you have to start thinking, how do we strategize? How do we work together and equip? That's organization. That's why we, part of the reason we belong together is because then in that equipping, what can happen is more of us would leave today saying, you know, I think I've got a calling on my street. And someone will be touched and ministered to and loved because of Christ this week because you embrace that calling. 
That's why we've called this series Asking for a Friend because we want to be talking about the kind of conversations you would have out there if you attempt to leave this place and see yourself as a minister of the gospel and we want to make sure you're equipped to see why the local church matters. How it can help. What you should be thinking about as you engage in it because the everyday work of ministry is what you do this week and what you've been equipped for in Christ to build the body. You need to have answers to the basic questions and challenges you face as you do the work of the ministry in our culture and environment. That means all of us have the responsibility to do ministry this week that builds up the body of Christ. Our leaders have the responsibility to organize the effective equipping of every saint to be engaged in that mission. And that's what we want to think about. And to that degree, we all need some organization. In fact, we need better organization, not less of it. So that's the second reason. We have a responsibility to be equipped, a calling to be equipped in the work of the ministry. It happens through gathering together as a body and organizing ourselves. The third thing we see, the third reason why the church matters, is we gather to avoid drifting away from Christ. We gather to avoid drifting away from Christ. We were in Florida several months ago, and um, Annie's Uncle Jimmy offered to take uh, our older two girls and I sailing. I'd never been sailing before, and so I thought this is a great chance to get out on a sailboat. Uh, I didn't have the proper attire, you know. Um, they're like the polo shorts and collared shirt and the sweater that wraps around your neck. I didn't have that, but we got on there, and uh, we, it was a particularly windy day, and we decided to go for it, so we headed out on this great sailing adventure. There was really a lot to it, to be honest. I was watching this all go down, and I was like, man, there is a lot that goes into sailing. Um, and I decided I would stick to driving speedboats. But really, it was, a, it was fun for a first-timer to kind of see how the sailboat worked. He's, he's somewhat experienced, and we got out on the water, and we were going wherever he wanted to go, and he was showing us how to work the ropes and, you know, letting us pull it and trying to keep us from getting knocked over by the sail when it swings around. That was my big job, to keep the kids in the boat. And, um, and so I was fairly successful at that. And we, we, got, we got going, and it was about time we were thinking, you know, maybe we'll come in. And about that moment, as the wind was gusting and he was trying to kind of get control of the boat, the, the rod that holds the two rudders snapped. It just broke. And, and I was like, what do we do? And he's like, I don't know. It never happened before. <laughs> and so there we were out in, on the bay, and it was windy. I mean, we still had the sail up. We couldn't steer, and we were just being driven about. The wind was blowing and whipping us where we were. The waves were at least high enough that I was starting to think, this is, this is kind of crazy, and it was getting a little out of control. We were adrift on the bay with no ability to steer and a driving wind sending us wherever it wanted to go. This is how he describes spiritual maturity, actually, here in this passage. Being able to be blown about by every wind of doctrine. And I think there's a reason that he describes it after he reminds us that we all have a calling to do ministry because what happens is as soon as you go out there and you begin to engage in God's work, you begin to face challenges in your own life about the kind of questions you're trying to answer. It's a fitting picture of the Christian life where someone hears a message like this, heads out into life ready to be faithful to Christ, and their rudder breaks. They run out of answers. Maybe it's a conversation with somebody they don't know how to respond to. Family member you've been praying for or trying to minister to. You're not sure what to say next. 
what to do. Maybe it's a challenge from a skeptic that eats away at your confidence in Scripture. Maybe it's a trial in your life that creates a wind of confusion around you. And the, equip, the equipping that you've had to this point didn't include how to fix the rudder. Didn't include, what do I do now? What do I do when that comes up? And it's not just a problem of convincing the other person. I'm starting to wonder myself. Before long, I'm drifting. Back to our sailing adventure. I was pondering how long it would take for us to capsize when uh, Jimmy picked up the phone and he called the sailing club he belongs to. He belonged to a local sailing club, not just a universal one. <laughs> and with minutes, a guy with a motorized raft was on the scene. And this guy was so tan. I mean, like, we were in Florida, and this is a guy that, like, lived on this raft. You know, you just see those guys where it's like, he's got these faded shorts on, his hair's just blowing in the wind, it's tan everywhere. He was about 60 years old. He knew everything. Like, he knew exactly what we needed. Within minutes, he was on the scene with his motorized raft, and it was clear that this was not his first rodeo. He had done this before. And uh, within a few minutes, he had given us instructions. He had secured the boat. We'd gotten the sail down, and we were being tugged back into the dock uh, that was owned by the local club. So I want to ask you, lonely Christian, individualistic Christian, with no care for organized involvement with other Christians, person on a spiritual journey who wants to take it alone? When your rudder breaks, who's coming to get you? Who's looking for you? When, you can't, when you're blown about by the winds of doctrine and the trials that you face in life, who's getting in the motorized life raft and showing up at your door? When the wind starts to blow in our culture and the waves get bigger and you're lost in the midst of it for a moment, who is coming to get you to help you remain faithful to Christ? You see, that's the question, right? This, this is one of the reasons that Jesus puts us in a body because those moments are real. They've been real in my life. They're going to be real in your life. And by being a part of a local body of Christ, by being a part of a church in a significant way, somebody is going to know it. Somebody is going to care. And somebody's going to show up. And there's somebody that you can call. And it's likely that person's been there before. They know what you're facing. They know what's going on. And they can help you. Because ultimately, in the fourth reason, we really see that we gather to contribute to one another's maturity in Christ. That's one of the reasons that we gather together. Ultimately, gathering with a local church is a way that we help one another to develop into maturity in the body of Christ. Over and over, the passage uses the idea of maturity. And, and you see it here. Let's just, let's just look at it a little bit. He says in verse 14 that... He wants us to no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. <laughs> grow up in every way into him. Who's that? It's to Christ, who is the head. And so we exist then to help one another grow up into Christ. 
that we would become more like Christ through those moments of our life. Christ who was able to suffer but keep his purpose before him. Christ who poured out his life for those around him, who fulfilled the mission of God, that we would grow up into Christ, that we would be formed in him because of the speaking of truth and love and the support of the body from who the whole body, Jesus, has called the whole body to join together, be held together by every joint. That's every one of us playing our role with which that joint is equipped. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You belong here for two really important reasons then for the sake of maturity. You belong here because you need other people in a relational environment where they can speak the truth to you in love. Where you can hear the truth spoken to you in love. Where you are just convinced that the people love you and would not even be saying this if they, just, if they didn't want you to flourish. So that the truth comes to you in that way. But you also exist here to do that for other people. You exist to be able to pour that kind of relational conversation into others. All of us need exactly what verse 15 describes if we're going to become mature. The only way I've ever seen people mature is when they're experiencing truth in the context of a loving environment. We never stop needing it, truthfully. We need to hear the truth in an environment where we know we're loved. That's our responsibility in the body of Christ, to build one another up in love, to experience the genuine love of Christ, to know that the gospel which displays the love of God is the overarching thing that is supreme to us and therefore in this environment we're loved and then the honest conversations that happen are able to be heard. Because you never really want to hear the truth from somebody who doesn't love you. I hate it, I mean to be honest. I mean, that's why I don't like critical emails, all right? So just don't waste your time on them. <laughs> no, but honestly, I mean, when somebody loves you, you can hear what they have to say. You know where it's coming from. And, and where else are we going to find that kind of relational environment? Where are you going to go to get it? Hopefully, in, in, in the context of a group of people who are trying to work out this calling to love one another. We need time to experience genuine love and we need to hear the truth over and over again in that context. For some of you, if you're going to experience spiritual maturity, probably the thing that you're going to have to do in the context of our church is get close enough to some people where you begin to experience some genuine love. And then that, upon experiencing that, you'll be able to open your, uh, your ears and your heart to the sort of truth that they're talking. To be able to receive that truth. To embrace that truth. But this is not meant to be a one-way street. Most of us use this phrase to justify our own speaking to others about difficult things. Right? We got to speak the truth in love. But this is not meant to be a one-way street. It's first and foremost about how, how we help one, other, one another grow. And apart from regular participation in the body of Christ, you will likely never experience it in a way that it was intended. In a way that each person is regularly built up. So the picture is a loving relational environment where we hear what we need to be able to mature and we know the experience well enough of what it's like to hear difficult words from people we love. We know that experience well enough and we give it with the sort of grace that we'd be willing to receive it with. That's the kind of environment that we need. And we know we need it. It's one of the most important reasons for you and I to care about this local church, this local church. That we would have that kind of environment in our life because maturity doesn't happen without challenging conversations. 
Maturity doesn't happen without challenging teaching. Maturity happens when somebody challenges us to go beyond where we're at, to think about something that is beyond what we care about. Our real godliness and maturity depends on these sort of conversations happening in our lives regularly and on the reality of the way they're expressed in a community of love. And we recognize some people in a body like this are going to hear it from others better than they're going to hear it from a different, one person different than another. And therefore, everybody matters in this church. This is the kind of calling that Christ has arranged. This is the wisdom of God in the body of the local church. And so I want to ask you the question, have you been called personally to the unity that we talk about, the one hope, the one faith, the one gospel, the one spirit, the one God and Father of all? Do you have confidence today sitting here that you have been united to Christ by faith and you belong to that family? Because there's nothing more important. You see, you can't find these kind of conversations and spiritual challenge and maturity on your own without that happening in your life, without first knowing the unity of being accepted in Christ. And here's what happened. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have our shame and our guilt and our unwillingness to hear criticism removed so that then we, in a community of love, could hear what we need to hear, give what we need to give. Jesus bought that precious gift for us and he has given us his Holy Spirit so that we would be drawn on to completion, that we would display unity, that we would protect one another from drifting, that we would move on to maturity, and that we would go out into a world with a mission. This is what Jesus died for. And today, if that doesn't stir your heart and stir your soul, you have to ask yourself the question, am I a person who has been forgiven by Christ, who has given my life to Christ and responded to the invitation to become a part of his body? Nothing is more important for you today and turning from your sin and trusting Christ in that way. And I just want you to know that God welcomes you through Christ to do that today, to call on Him, to confess your sin to Him, to confess that you believe Jesus has died for you. But for you who have been walking with Christ, maybe, maybe you haven't been leaning in. Maybe the reality is, is that you've kept a safe distance from others in the body of Christ, and God's calling you to find the practical way today in which you take next steps to follow him, to, to hear these words and respond in obedience. Let's go into a time of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me?